guys, welcome to the second episode, and here I'm being interviewed on Nicole's podcast, Beyond the Bikini, and I'm tying it back to my channel, so there's a little bit of Q&A, some stuff that's going to get you guys fired up, all things about weight gain, competing, reverse dieting, uh, blaming the sport, I mean, we really get in-depth in this uh, episode, you'll get to see my rants and some of the passion that is behind what I do. So sit down, buckle up, and be ready for the mic drop. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Hey. So why don't you start off by just like introducing who you are, your credentials, and your competition history? Okay. I am 25. I just moved to Tampa, Florida, but I'm originally from Vermont. And I moved here because I got accepted to the University of South Florida for their master's program. Um, And I found that through Paul, who is my coach. And when I decided I was going to come down here, he was like, we should meet and talk. I was like, all right, let's do it. And he was like, I really want a strong female that has the same beliefs and practices uh, as a coach on my team. And then I became a part of Pro Physique. Uh, I, I coach physique athletes as well as lifestyle clients because we work with all types of people and my competition history I started competing in 2016 Um, and this was my this last year was my second season and this year I will be taking off to focus on growth that's kind of like a big summary yeah well um, I also work with Paul Ravella so both Kate and I have that in common and we actually competed together at Junior Nationals in 2018. I almost said like 2019, but that's this year. So <laughs> um, we did compete together in 2018, and that's where I met her. And um, we've just been communicating through social media and talking about how we need to just do a little chit-chat on um, competing, people, people's questions that they might have in regards to competing, and a little bit of our background um, in a variety of topics. So this is going to be kind of like a Q&A episode. But we are going to start off with some fun questions first. So, Kate, why don't you tell me um, what your favorite food is? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Other than your MTS peanut butter fluff. Okay, well, that is really good. But as far as, like, food, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm torn. So I love all things Mexican, like burritos and chips and salsa and guac. Like, you can't say no to that. Like, no way. But I also really love sushi. So... And like, Bert, I don't know. That's so hard. Uh, I guess if I had to pick one thing to live off for the rest of my life, and I'm going super extreme here, but I guess I would have to say like fajitas. Fajitas are really good, but I was just thinking you like Mexican and sushi, and you should just do like one of those sushi burritos. Oh, I've seen those, but I haven't found a place that does them yet. I really want to get yeah. them though. They look so good. Um, and actually filling, because I feel like sushi, you're only full for like two seconds. Yeah, that's the thing is... It'll, I could eat like 10 rolls and not bad enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So the next question I have is if you could choose one macro to eat for the rest of your life, protein, carbs, and fats, and not just for longevity, but just out of like which one you enjoy the most, um, which one would you choose? Honestly, I overeat protein regularly. I love like, I don't know. I just love don't take this out of context. I love meat. Like I love chicken. (laughs) I love chicken. I love hamburger. I love seafood. Like 
all that thing I always go over I actually had to switch over to like working in vegan options because they're usually higher in fats and carbs uh, mm-hmm. as like meat sources during prep so when we would do refeed days I'm like come on man this stinks so for me just like instinctively I overeat protein all the time so that would be it for sure that would have actually been mine as well and I think people think I'm crazy but I could probably slam like a rotisserie chicken easy and enjoy every second of it like I love protein um I love like protein supplements as well but I like actual pure protein too and it's like there's so much you can do with it yeah no take me to a barbecue and I'm going for like all of that barbecue chicken pulled pork that's my plate (laughs) oh my gosh I love it okay so Kate who is your biggest inspiration in the industry this could be a coach a competitor um, you can name like one of each. So tell me who inspires you the most. Oh my goodness. That's tough. Um, and you could have like for different reasons too, like maybe someone's physique or someone's work ethic. It could be totally up to you. Okay. So I will say I really admire Callista Upperman. Um, I like the way that she promotes health and shows both sides of the sport, which I think not a lot of people do. And she's also very open about like who she is, excuse me, like who she is, what she prioritizes and the other aspects of her life, um, even through her social media, which I really, really appreciate because I feel like a lot of people don't do that. And then um, someone that I look up to as a coach is, is Paul. I'm always picking his brain. His, he's, says like one thing like he's not a man of many compliments so when he does compliment you you know that he means it and I appreciate that because it's like there are coaches out there that will be like yeah great job great job you know and and that's not necessarily always the case whereas when they're few and far in between you know that like yeah we're on the right track here and so as coming from a client perspective um, that's something that I really appreciate about working with him. I think that Paul does a really good job. Um, Paul also inspires me as a coach. That's also why I work with him um, because he he's very blunt and honest and he only seems to want to work with athletes who want to take it to that professional level. Um, granted, he works with, you know, lifestyle people as well, but he's very honest and that's hard to find. Um, I find some coaches get too buddy-buddy. They're like, you're doing a great job, girl, when you feel like crap and you feel like you didn't do your best and you don't always need to sugarcoat it. Just give me the truth. Yeah. And I feel like that is very apparent. It's so saturated. Everybody wants to be a coach and in order to get clients, you're like, yeah, girl, you're doing it great. When in fact, like, you know, one thing that I even have to have hard conversations with my clients about is I can't, I'm not willing to prep you with where we're at right now. You will not be ready. And those are hard conversations to have, but I think, that that's really understanding that you're now working with someone who has your best interest in mind. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think competitor wise, looking at like the pro level, um, I miss her, but I really liked Michelle Sylvia Mm -hmm. because she just seemed to have like a really good attitude throughout her whole preps. Um, And then I also really like Ashley Kaltwasser just because I'm from Akron, Ohio. And so is she. So it's kind of, cool to see that she's from my um, area and the fact that she was pretty blunt and honest with like her issues with her weight gain um, and taking time off and her work ethic is really there Um, and she's just like a gymnast too and I was a gymnast growing up so I just relate to her a lot that's awesome yeah she's she's very inspiring 
Yeah, she's got a crazy physique. Yeah, she does. Okay. So, Kate, what is one piece of advice that you would give a competitor? And this could be anything. This could be in regards to prep or tanning or suits, anything. The biggest advice that I would give to any competitor is to keep perspective. I think that I see it all the time that we give so much power to the things that we engage in during prep. And I get that they take up a ton of our time and our our lives, but you have to keep it in context to the bigger picture and what's actually going on in life around you. Um, And I I do see it a lot that people get lost in it. and, And I get it. You're really giving everything that you have, but if you don't keep perspective on the situation, it's only going to negative negatively impact not only you and your prep because stress is never a good thing, but your relationships and the things that happen in life when prep is over. I don't think people keep that in mind. Um, and so that's, that would be probably my biggest piece of advice. Yeah. I think one piece of advice I'd give is take time off. And if you're taking a long season, what is your why? Because there was one year, where I competed from the Arnold all the way until June. And I really lost perspective, like you said, and my relationship suffered and prep kind of became a part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I lost a little bit of myself. And I had just gone through my undergrad graduation as well. So I was going through all these life changes all at once where I graduated college, I was done with prep. That was something that I had been doing for like eight months. Um, and getting a lot of attention and feedback from it, which, of course, you love a little bit. Yeah. Um, and when that was all taken away from me, I, I didn't know where to go. And the whole fact of, like, competing for a long season, like, you have to have a why. And if you're not reversing and giving your body a break, not only is your mindset going to, you know, suffer, but your body's going to be suffering as well. Oh, my gosh. So, like, there are so many talking points, like, right in what you said and so many things I can relate to. I remember last year... I just like prep was everything like it was like do or die and I didn't care about anything else my relationship suffered my relationship with myself suffered Um, and I've done this thing historically now we're getting on a tangent Um, but even in college (laughs) I was a division one athlete I played division one basketball and I allowed what I did to identify who I was and they are completely separate entities and I feel that this happens a lot is we identify ourselves by the things that we achieve or the things you know, our status or whatever, when in fact, that's not actually you, like, that's not you at 430 in the morning, like no one, you know what I mean? Like, that's not when you're going through hard stuff. Like, that's just, it's not you It's something that you do. And for me, my entire emphasis on taking off this entire year is not only to get to know myself better, but to like put out there who I am outside of what I do, because I do think that's so important. And I see all the time people getting lost in the sauce. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, taking these three to four month off seasons, that's not an off season. And you have to be comfortable with the weight gain. I I show like my off season body now and I'm not really like ashamed of it because most people's off season bodies is someone else's goals. Preach. Say it again. Say it for the people. (laughs) It's so true, though. We're so hard on ourselves and we think that we don't look good when it's like someone would kill to have that body. Yeah, and I do think that the message that we send when we say that we look fluffy or fat when we post our update pictures, 10 pounds, 12 pounds, heck, 20 pounds over stage weight, like, first, that that is triggering to other people, and I don't think that it's sending the right message, and so for me, that's, like, frustrating, but also as someone who competes in physique sports, like, I am not, you know, immune to being triggered or insecure, 
And there are things that are out there that trigger me and I have to tap into my objective mind and be like, you know, separate my emotion from, you know, critical thinking. And obviously, like, no offense to anyone who's trying to sustain well this is kind of offensive and I do mean it kind of offensively if you're trying <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I'm taken if you're if you're trying to maintain stage lean you're drastically drastically decreasing your quality of life whether it's your relationship with yourself your relationship with food your relationship with your body image the people around you the things that you're able to do and thrive through throughout the day like if you're still thinking about food 24-7, you are not in a healthy place. I don't care what the scale says. That's not a good place to be. And rant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is like one more thing before I'm going to move on to my next question is um, both my boyfriend and I are actually competitors. And I was telling him the other day is, you know, I don't even really notice the difference between you being stage lean and you being off season. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're just Matt. Like, that's all you are to me. You're just my boyfriend. You're not this like shredded body and you're not your off season body. You're just you. And I think a lot of people forget that difference. It's like, yeah, you could be up like 10, 20, 30 pounds post show, but like the people who are there for you and love you are going to love you regardless. They just want you to be happy. Yes. And like knowing someone, like I said, it's not about who, what they look like, you know, it's, it's knowing them as a, as who they are and it just goes back to this whole identity crisis that we kind of talked about like you need to know you and be solid in who you are outside of what you look like or what you do in order to be I think ready truthfully mentally to even engage in the sport exactly so alrighty, Kate what is your long-term goal for yourself competition wise long-term with regards to to competing so this is going to be my first at least 12 month off season. I've already laid down that law for myself. Um, and my goal is to put on as much muscle as possible, especially in my lower body. So that is my goal during this time. I would like to step on stage in 2020, um, win an overall at least once, and then go the national stage route. And obviously the, the goal at the end of the day, the reason I do that, um, not only is to push myself and grow mentally and physically, uh, emotionally as well but at the end at the end I would like to be able to step on the Olympia stage someday yeah I think those are really great goals and you're already taking the right steps to that goal of putting on more muscle girl you have no problem getting lean you get peeled but <laughs> <laughs> the the amount of muscle that is on bikini competitors it's pretty it's pretty um competitive it is and it, they're only getting bigger and that just only goes to show like the message really is you need to take time off to grow. If you just run the national stage and you go back to back, not only are you in a deficit and you're not making progress, you're actually losing muscle mass being in a deficit for that long. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, I have very similar long-term goals like you do. First, I'm wanting to win an overall. I've been competing since 2015 and I've won my class, but I've never won an overall. Um, and I feel like that would be a really cool thing to like be the best at a show. Um, And then of course my goal for 2019, but just in the future is future is to turn pro. Um, And with me being from Ohio, I'd love to just like step on the Arnold stage again as a pro. I did it as an amateur, but doing as a pro would be like really rewarding to represent the U S the more in depth questions where we'll probably elaborate a little bit more on. So for lifestyle clients, 
how do you decide how many macros to add when reverse dieting in order to maintain their physique? So with us both being online coaches, I think it's important that we, you know, answer these questions for people who are um, wanting to track macros or post-show. So um, what are your thoughts on this, Kate? So I think if their goal is to maintain a relatively lean physique, if that's kind of where they're starting from, if their intention is to reverse after a dieting phase, I do think that it's important to adjust what is going to enhance your lifestyle the most. So if you're in a deficit and you're generating that deficit doing hours and hours of cardio, um, and you just don't have the time for that, whether it's impacting your relationships, if you're a mom, um, your work life, anything like that, then I would say, you know, you want to walk down that cardio um, for sure. If you are someone that's really not doing that much cardio, but you're starving all the time, then you want to increase your macronutrients slowly and over time, especially if your goal is to, again, maintain your a relatively lean physique, but increase calories. Um, and then how you go about doing that is really dependent on how you're feeling. Now, research has, has shown a little bit that we want to keep fats lower for at least the first four to six weeks because we're more prone or apt to store it as body fat. Um, And so I would suggest slowly increasing carbs. And remember, I think people lose sight of this. Like, oh my gosh, I increased 10 grams of carbs. Like 10 grams of carbs is 40 calories. That's not a ton. That's a rice cake. So I think people also get caught up in the numbers. And it's important to keep that in perspective when you are adding calories. And then I would just focus on getting feedback from your body. How are you feeling? How is your energy? And then tracking weight to make sure that we're not gaining too fast or we're not losing weight, certainly. Um, And so that's kind of how I would suggest going about it. (laughs) Yeah. And with reverse dieting, this is a very complex topic and it's different for um, each person and their goals. Like, for example, let's say you're wanting to just feel better faster. You're going to have to put on a little bit more body fat to achieve that if you're post-competition. Just because your body fat is so low and especially for females, we're not meant to hold a 10% body fat level. Um, So if you want to feel better, you're going to have to gain some weight a little bit faster. With that being said, your food's probably going to be bumped up faster as well. Um, I always recommend, too, for reverse dieting, I like to cut cardio at least in half. Some clients have that emotional attachment to their cardio, so they don't want it to be cut down too, too much. But I like to leave it in like half of it and then slowly cut Mm -hmm. it down. But that's more or less for their psychological needs too so you know there's those physical needs and psychological needs that you have to take into account for reverse dieting um if you're wanting to maintain that super lean physique too it's you need to ask yourself am i going to compete in four weeks or eight weeks again or am i going to compete two years right and again it just it really depends on the context of the question because you know if the preface is it's a lifestyle client well we don't have to be that worried about kind of giving ourselves a gap in a window, especially if you're not feeling well and if your hormones are not in a good place. Um, So that you have to consider as well. Yeah. Okay, Kate. So how long did it take for you to get where you are with your physique? Oh, this question drives me nuts. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. These types of questions are always followed up with kind of the, what do you eat? What do you supplement with? What is your cardio like? You know, all these things. And I can honestly... It's like the, the Kate Bible and that someone else wants to yeah, follow it. Yeah, and it's hard because 
I want to be as transparent as possible with what I'm doing, but I also don't want to promote someone following my regimen, if that makes sense. So it draws this line where, where do you stop sharing? What is okay to share? What's not? Because the last thing I would want is for a lifestyle client to look at my picture, not really know that much about me and see that I posted this video on my macros and what cardio I was doing during a competition prep. So they just jump right into that, you know? And so that's super hard. Um, But it's taken a long time. I was an athlete my entire life. Like I said, I grew up, I played sports all through high school. I got into lifting uh, definitely like my junior, senior year of high school, all through college because I played Division one basketball. So we had strength and conditioning. Um, but the type of lifting and conditioning, especially nutrition, um, changed completely. When I played Division one basketball, I did not care. We were going out to eat. I was getting, <laughs> I was getting the pasta and, you know, the the little rolls and stuff. I was getting whatever I wanted. I didn't care. Um, I was more worried about performance. And then after my senior year, I tore my patellar tendon and through like rehab, I started going to the gym for therapeutic reasons, like for lifting. And then I kind of fell in love with that. And from that, just getting my leg to grow, like I fell in love with training my entire body and watching it change. And so that's how I got here. But that's like years and years. I don't really know how to how to say like how long it's it's only been I guess consistently training for two two and a half years as far as like with bodybuilding goals um and I still have I'm still very young in this sport so it's not like this is the end I'll be of my physique like it's still going to continue to change because I'll still continue to do what I need to do if that makes sense yeah it takes a lot of time to grow and build a physique and I know for myself as a gymnast growing up, I had a really good base um, with my core. A lot of people have asked me, they're like, how do you get your abs or how do you do this or how do you do that? It's just, it, it depends on your athletic background. You know, different athletes are going to have different muscle groups developed. Like sprinters seem to have like the best legs. Um, A lot of like volleyball, basketball players seem to have really good developed shoulders. Like it's just so dependent on your background Now, if you're someone who's never competed in sports, you're going to need to put in some time in the gym because um, I've been lifting consistently for about three years now. I will say my first couple of years was not proper programming whatsoever. Um, I was doing too much cardio, um, but that's just with the mixed messages of my actual athletic background of like gymnast being more petite and leaner. Um, So it was hard for me to let go of my cardio, but each person is going to have that different background, different base. And also, I hate to say this, but genetics, um, you can, you know, train like how Kate trains, but you're not going to have her delts or you could do the same ab workout as me, but it doesn't mean you're going to get my abs overnight. It's there's so many variables involved, um, especially with the genetics. Like 100%. Yes, especially to that point. I think that we try to manipulate our genetic makeup it by doing things that other people are doing instead of being consistent with what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and it, keep in mind, if you're wanting to, you know, compete and do a physique type of sport, it's going to take years and it gets better with time. So as long as you're sticking with it, some of the best competitors out there are in their 30s. So like a lot of people don't look forward to turning 30. But honestly, I'm excited because I feel like I'm going to look like better when I'm yes, 30 like muscle maturity it takes time and it looks it looks so much better like 
I just think that you have to keep, like I said, perspective. Like you have to see the long game. You need to keep that in mind. And if you aren't, like you talked about your why, if you're not doing it because you love doing it, you're just doing it to step on stage. Don't expect to bring anything exceptional. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. I love it. So, okay. I'm excited for this topic because I've gotten a lot of hate for it. Um, should I be on birth control if I want to prep opinion? Okay. Well, um, for me, I recently, not that long ago, uh, removed my birth control. So I have had, and listen, do you have the, I did, I had, I had the next one. I got shredded just fine. I had striated glutes. Like, let's be honest. I was way over conditioned. Um, Kate's peeled guys. Go look at Kate's. Instagram she I saw her at junior Nats and she has like veins in her calves yeah it's ridiculous so anyone I think that there's a lot of misconceptions as to the fact that you can't lose enough body fat if you're on birth control however like like I said I got shredded just fine um I think that birth control is a personal choice and if you're doing it for health reasons um or whatever reasons you might need to indulge in that I would definitely consult with your inner being and keep perspective again on why you're on it if you need to be and why you would want to come off of it and if going off of it just to get shredded is really worth going off of it or getting on it for you know x y or z reason is really worth going on it because again this is a an inflation of your hormonal profile within your physiological makeup so um, yeah, yeah, but as far as if you want to prep and you're looking to lose body fat and you think that that's going to impact the outcome, I I would say it does not. Yeah, I would say you have to do your due diligence. I always struggle with that <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> when it comes to you and taking birth control, like if you start taking birth control, rather that be the pill, um, the implant, or even like the depot shot, which I've never heard good things from the shot. That's just my own personal opinion I've never had the shot but I've had friends who've had it and that seems to be the only birth control that's very correlated with fat gain um not to say that you should experience it but there's been the most studies shown to have an increase in fat gain with the depot shot but you need to you know stay in tune with your body um I personally was on birth control I was on the pill and it was the mini pill and I didn't like it because it gave me the psychological effects of just like the depression of the mood swings and I didn't feel like myself and to me not feeling like me wasn't worth it and even other people were noticing too like my friends my boyfriend family they were noticing like a change in my mood and that bothered me like I didn't want some sort of pill to change how I was feeling Um, and I wasn't taking birth control like for birth control if that makes sense I was taking it for acne but like my skin cleared up um and I I just got off of it because I didn't like how it made me feel um it also just made me feel a little bit inflamed and bloated but I've I've definitely gone through fat loss phases on the pill um but each person's body is going to react differently to birth birth control depending on the type that you're on um and just your natural estrogen levels too yeah that's another huge thing is most most females don't consider like if you look at someone's genetic build at baseline they're either estrogen or progesterone dominant um and that impacts basically their physiology and and their rate of storage in fat or their predisposed uh ability to do so 
So I think that that is something that also has to be considered. Like if you look at someone with a relatively lean physique, they're probably progesterone dominant because it is like related to testosterone. Um, and those people tend to put on muscle more easily. Whereas if you're estrogen dominant, whether you're on birth control or not, you're probably going to struggle a little bit more than someone who is not. Um, but yeah. Isn't it like the more estrogen dominant you are, Kate, that you're going to store more fat in your thighs and glute area yeah. too? So again, and then back to genetics, like where you store body fat is completely defined by your genetic makeup for me when I lean down my legs I get shredded (laughs) but I have to be careful Um, however for me the last part to come in is always my core Um, so I have to find a balance when I'm dieting down as to how aggressive I can be and that for me means limiting cardio because I don't want to oxidize the fat cells that are in my lower body even though my body wants to pull there first um, and then peaking properly so it's just a lot of things that, that play into how you shred down. And I think people are like, oh, I want to spot reduce my, my arms or my core and my legs or whatever. And unfortunately, like that's, that's not a realistic approach or view. I'm not saying that it's impossible. You know, studies are trying to see if, if we can spot reduce, um, I'm, I'm using my fingers for quotations here, um, by implementing certain arrangements and training protocols, but you know, there's nothing that shows anything statistically significant at this point. Yeah. And um, I think that's so interesting that you just said that with like your core and your leg distribution, because mine's the opposite where my core stays lean, but like I hold a lot of fat in my tricep region, which is an estrogen dominant area as well. Um, And so each person is so different and um, you can't spot reduce fat loss you're going to lose fat in weird places too. Like your face is going to get leaner. <laughs> your, I love, I love my prep face. Not going to lie because I've always wanted a nice jawline, but I have, I literally just girl. keep fat cheeks all the time. Like I think the last place the fat comes off is my cheeks. Like I don't get, <laughs> why can't I have fat cheeks somewhere else? Jeez. But no, it just goes straight to my face and that's great. Um, but you're going to lose fat in places that you don't expect. Uh, you're not going to like just be able to tell your body, hey, lose fat in your core. Go. It's not going to yeah, work like that way. Yeah, doing hundreds of sit-ups. While it will be good for core strengthening, and you should have a good core anyways, it's not going to give you abs. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Kate. So a lot of people struggle with this, and that's hitting their macros to a T or hitting protocols that they are given by their coach. How do you hit your macros? I plan them out the night before. I always do this. Okay. So, um, especially in prep, I tend to eat a lot of the same things. Um, so if for whatever reason, like I'm on the go, I already know what my next meal is. And I already, because I eat it so consistently, I can throw it together or I've already planned it out the night before. And then I'll reevaluate the next day, like what I want at the end of the day. So for example, if, you know, I felt dissatisfied with meal one of whatever day, and I was like, I want to try a different breakfast tomorrow. Well, then the night that night when I go to program the next day, I've planned for a different meal. And then I kind of get that feedback based on my cravings or whether I want to work something else in because perks of flexible dieting, I can work something in if I want it. Um, and so that way I go into the next day, not eating impulsively, not trying to play like Tetris with macros. Um, 
and I already know what's coming. And then at the end of the day, I'll get the feedback from how was I feeling? Did I have enough energy? You know, did I get through my day? Did I have any cravings? You know, do I want to do something else tomorrow or whatever? And then go ahead and pre-plan the day for the next day. And so that's just kind of premeditated, um, setting myself up for success. Yeah, I think just taking those mental notes along the way is really helpful. A lot of times people will eat meals where they might feel like way too full for their next one or they don't, they're like really hungry. Um, And you're going to get better with tracking the more you do it. For me, um, I've been tracking since I was 19 and I'm 23 now. So I have like, I don't want to say like, I can just remember numbers like the top of my head, but someone could say oatmeal and I can think of the macros and the serving size off the top of my head. Um, And I know what that looks like. So I think just having staples in mind, foods that you like, which is normally going to just be those whole foods, like the oats, the egg whites, eggs, chicken, um, your veggies, like all of those are going to be your staples. They should be um, even as a flexible Mm -hmm. dieter, but having those in mind. And then, you know, let's say you do want a treat here and there, plug that in the day before and also make sure you're plugging in your macros before you're consuming food, because that's a big mistake I see my clients make where they're like, Oh, like I had like a Hershey's Hershey's kiss and maybe this and that at the office. It's like, well, did you plug that in before or after? And then they said, I plugged it in after and it skews their whole macros for the rest of the day. You have to plug in before you consume because trust me the little things add up yes they do and that's a really really big point um especially if you're someone that does like to play tetris and it's fun for you <laughs> i don't it drives me nuts especially if that, that I don't want that's to like um, about it. that reminds me of the jigsaw guy from saw that's like one yeah no that's really it's <laughs> like are, what is the outcome of this are you gonna successfully put this together or are you gonna fuck yourself like that's yeah. how it's gonna go <laughs> Um, but if you are someone that does like the game, um, I would highly suggest that you make your plate, put it or put it in, then make your plate and then sit and eat it and not pick as you make and then weigh. Like if you scramble all those things together, it's like, it's going to be, I would, I don't, the first thing that comes to mind is beautiful disaster and beauty as the, you know, initial that tasted great and I'm happy about it. And then disaster as far as like guilt or, you know, stress is going over and then having to play Tetris with the rest of your day, or if it's your last meal and you just blew it out of the water, um, that's never a good feeling. So don't yourself, don't set yourself up for that for sure. Yeah. And a lot of times too, like there's ways to curb your cravings. Um, and I know this isn't a question, but I think this is important. So Kate, how do you curb your cravings when you're in like a cutting phase for a prep? Oh, okay. So if I crave something, well, I guess this kind of goes back to how I, how I plan things out. If I crave something, I'll usually crave it for a couple of days. So if I'm craving something and I don't have it at the end of the day, I'll be like, I'm still craving that. I want to have it. Um, and then if the next day, like I don't have it, I'll be like, I really want this thing. And instead of being like, I can't have it. It's like, all right, I'm working that in tomorrow. And sometimes even at the end of a prep, like I love, this is going to be such an unpopular opinion, but I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches adore them they're my favorite thing best pre-workout ever but in prep you don't always have first of all they're not filling so it's like and you certainly don't always have the fats and the carbs to make a quality peanut butter and jelly sandwich and nobody wants like one tablespoon of peanut butter on this big ass bread you know to be your peanut butter and jelly it just tastes like bread poverty bread 
So um, at that point, then I'll just be like, I'm going to take the loss because I'm craving it and I'm going to make it fit here, but just know that I'm going to be hungrier and the rest of my days are probably going to be filled with higher volume foods. Um, but then I'll work that in and I have it and I feel great and I don't crave one for another two weeks or whatever I need to do, but I don't ever say that like I can't have it or, you know, don't do it um, because then I feel like I'm setting myself a boundary and when we're told we can't do something, like think of when you're a kid and they're like, don't touch that. Don't, don't poke me. You know, you're going to poke someone. Don't go in that room. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how I deal with the craving is I find a way to make it fit. Yeah. And I think that's very helpful or just like making a macro friendly alternative. Um, I was just thinking about that cookie you posted mm. and how that is something that I really enjoy. Now I could have like, Oreos, of course, but I could have something that's going to be more nourishing and filling for me um, and make a macro friendly alternative that's going to supply my body with nourishment and keep me fuller versus maybe, you know, triggering me to want more. Yes. And identifying trigger foods is so important. When you are dieted down, let me tell you, the, psycho the psychological shit that you go through, people don't talk about this, especially with food fixation is so real. And if you keep those trigger foods around you, like you're setting yourself up for a failure. Like that's just completely the truth. And one thing that yeah. I get into when I start prepping is I find uh, alternatives, like macro friendly alternatives. Like I got into baking this last prep and I found some really good recipes that I've shared and one of them that you've talked about, um, but they got me through all of my cravings and it was, that was yeah. definitely the better way to go about it. I've never like experienced binging or, you know, that type of behavior, but I know so many people that have, and I've heard about it a lot. Um, so I know that it's like a very, very, very real thing. And so when yeah, I have clients I... that go through that, I always suggest like for this period, we need to just remove the, the trigger, like whatever it is, if it's a food, if it's time, if it's a place, um, you need to identify what it is that's setting you off. And then try to tap into that objective mind of yours, whether it's like for me, I always suggest journaling or going for a walk um, to give yourself time to work through the emotion that you're feeling um, because it's not the food and that food is not going to make you feel better. Um, it's something else that's setting you off. And if you can't identify that, then you're going to keep going through this vicious cycle. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm someone who actually has struggled with binge eating and I have like another episode on that. Um, that I can leave down below. But um, eliminating your trigger foods is so important. I think so many people are like, Oh, well, like, it's just in my house. Okay, throw it away. Like, it's sitting there, it's taunting you, it's in the back of your head, throw it away. You wouldn't like, have a friend around that would mock you all the time and hang out with them. Like, no, you'd get rid of them. So the same with food, if it's really bothering you. And I think also just like having a coach for accountability helps um, and also just having a person too, because a lot of people, whenever they're struggling with, you know, their binge foods is they do it alone. And I think having someone hold you accountable. Um, I know Lauren Conlin will say she leaves the kitchen and says the kitchen is closed at this certain time. Um, just having those cues in place can really help you. Yes, that that's so true. I think for a lot of people that compete, they get isolated and competing in itself is an isolating uh, sport, if you will. If you don't set yourself up for success, surrounding yourself in a community, in friends, in family, and getting them kind of involved and being able to open up and address that issue. Whereas if you keep it hidden in you, then you associate it with negative feelings and guilt. Whereas if you're just open and being like, I'm really 
craving this and I'm feeling triggered by this, like, can you, you know, help me, whether it's calling someone or going for a walk with someone or, you know, whatever, texting your friend or being around your significant other. I think the most important thing that people feel shame about, but really it's empowering is to be open about that with someone that you can trust and can help you get through that phase. Absolutely. Um, And another thing too, is like that social support is so powerful and strong. Like my parents, when I first started competing, had no idea what the heck I was doing. Um, But now they're very supportive. Like they're, they always have something for when I come home and visit them. Um, They have a food skill there. If I usually compete in the spring and summer. So my birthday's in May. Um, And if there's like family members, you know, that bring me sweets and things like that for my birthday, you know, just being nice. My parents will always just be like, well, she can't have that right now. Like, they're just so supportive. Like they got my back and I love it. I love that. Yeah. So, okay. Still talking about food. Kate, what is your favorite meal? Oh my goodness. Um, Like that I have regularly or like. Yeah. So let's talk about like maybe like a prep staple. My goodness. Okay. Um, I'm going to say cream of rice, protein powder, egg whites, and peanut butter for breakfast is the best. And I still have that now because it's literally one of my most favorite things. Yeah. Um, I actually just had cream of rice this morning. So um, I love me some protein pancakes. Mm. I make mine with just like egg whites and coconut flour, um, that little buff protein mix, and then some psyllium husk. And it's super good and filling. That sounds really good. Yeah, psyllium husk, I like to add that in when I'm in prep because it is filling. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, okay. One of my favorite questions because it's complex. Um, Kate, if I want to compete, where should I start? Okay. If your goal is to compete, I would sit and address your dieting experience, your training regimen, and your relationship with food. A lot of people come to me and they're just like, I want to step on stage. And I'm like, okay, when's the last time you dieted? Well, I've never dieted. Okay, when is, how often do you train? Well, I go to the gym when I can. Um, you know, sometimes it's three times a week. Sometimes it's only once, but I go, you know. And I think that if you don't have a foundation of habit, uh, you are – you need to start there. We need to start with identifying, you know, a a consistent training regimen, consistency with food, educating yourself on food. If you have no idea what a macro is, like start there Um, and building habits. Whereas I have clients come to me that have never dieted. They don't know anything about food. um, And I say, the first thing that we need to do is start instilling these habits with you. And, you know, Paul talked about this recently on his channel, Um, but suggesting like a a repeat diet where you just start from the basics. Let's have the same breakfast every single day, right? Let's not worry about anything other than consistency with breakfast. Then we move to breakfast and lunch. Then we move to breakfast, lunch, snack, you know, breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner. And suddenly you have your own meal plan, if you will, of things that you enjoy eating. And then once you get that, you're consistent. Now we can see where your calories are. Are you maintaining on these calories? Um, and then go from there. Okay, now we need to adjust macros. And while you're doing this, what I have them do is start playing with a tracking app. You put in your breakfast. You get practice doing that. Um, then you put in breakfast and lunch. You know, and then you're you're setting yourself up for success because at the end of that, now we can see. Okay, these are my macros. Um, let's adjust them here. And if you don't know how to, you know, work in different types of macronutrients, I do have like a, a cheat sheet, if you will, of what uh, protein, carbs, and fats are in isolation and, and in combination. Uh, we see them on social media all the time. But 
it does help people direct their intention as far as nutrition, because that is going to play a huge part, especially when dieting and trying to optimize fat loss. And then if you aren't consistent with training and nutrition, you know, you need to start there. And then of course, if you're someone who has those things and you're ready, you really think you're ready to compete. The first question that you should ask yourself is what division and do you have enough muscle? Um, If you don't have enough muscle, if you don't have that foundation um, and you want to diet down, well, you're sacrificing what you already have and you're setting yourself up to not be competitive because as we mentioned earlier, the divisions are only getting more and more muscle mass. You know, bikini this year had more muscle than it ever has, I would say. Um, So if you are trying to jump on stage, um, again, again, this ties back into the why thing, but I just think you need need to have those honest conversations with yourself. If you want to compete, you need to have these things as systems in your life. Um, And competing should be a part of your life, a, a, a test throughout your journey and the lifestyle that you live versus doing it for, you know, public affirmation, if you will, or or support or some type of achievement. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Please do not compete if you want to grow your social media. Just heads up. And then Um, demonize it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Hang on. Join my mastermind. Remind me of that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, But if I want to compete, where should I start? First off, it needs to already be a part of your lifestyle. Um, I started competing coming from an athletic background. I was used to being into the gym at least 15 hours a week. I needed an outlet for my energy. I had that base. Um, so you need to start with having the gym be a part of your routine and without like motivation to have to get there. Like you should just simply be going because you love it. Um, because if you're not training in the gym because you love it consistently, you're going to hate it during prep. Um, and or you might just skip the gym altogether, which if you do that, you're not going to be a successful competitor, to be blunt right. and honest. Um, but you're going to have to make it a part of your lifestyle first. Then I would recommend, you know, making sure that your calories are at a high enough level before wanting to compete, because when you compete, odds are you're going to have to cut down. And if you're eating 1200 calories a day, you're not going to be able to cut down anywhere, um, nor will you be putting on the muscle mass that you need that is required for stage. So making sure that you're eating an adequate amount of calories, making sure that you have um, enough finances saved away, um, that being for stepping on stage and even hiring a coach. Um, I know a lot of college um girls out there are wanting to compete but then you know they don't have two thousand dollars to spend on the show and even coaching so keep that in mind too you need to have enough finances for this it is a expensive hobby being a competitor does not make you rich winning a regional show will not make you rich um, <laughs> it's not for that so the other thing that i would recommend too is just having like a strong why um why are you wanting to step on stage? Are you wanting to, you know, challenge yourself? Are you wanting an outlet for your energy? Are you wanting to um, see all the hard work that you've been putting in the gym for years? You know, I have people who I know who've been lifting for 10 years and they're like, you know what? I I think I want to step on stage. Great. You have an incredible base under your belt. So um, having like a strong why, why you want to get up there. Do not want, you should not want to go up on stage to like prove anyone wrong um to impress an ex-boyfriend like those are not good not good wise um and then lastly um 
going into competing, where should you start? You should also start with um, doing some research into coaching. So I know some people will try to coach themselves. I've done that for my first show ever. That was a train wreck. Um, you need help. And even even LeBron James has a coach. Um, even Hussein Bolt has a coach. You know, the best athletes out there have a coach. You need one too. Um, this is a sport. And if you take it seriously and you take your health seriously, I recommend that you get a coach. So those are my five main tips, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with every single thing that you said for sure okay kate last thing just because you touched upon this how do you feel about competitors that bash competing oh my gosh i think that uh i think in general i'll try to see the silver lining here i think that when we go through something improperly or something happens to us we play the victim instead of taking accountability I do think that many competitors that have gone through a, a phase um, where they die down, uh, this usually happens in this manner. So this is the cycle I see. I'm going to compete, number one. They want to compete. They don't have a solid why. Number two, it's not a part of their lifestyle. They're doing it for some other reason. Um, and then number three, they didn't do their research, which you touched on um, as far as what comes with competing uh, and the health effects that happen they probably didn't hire a quality coach that educated them on these things. And then they didn't educate themselves or take control of their reverse diet. They didn't set themselves up with a post-show plan. And all of these things in combination definitely set people up for disaster. Now that's not competing's fault. No one said competing was healthy. And let me make that very clear. I'll say it again. Competing is not healthy. The level of body fat that you achieve to step on a stage and be competitive is not healthy, nor is it sustainable. However, when you do compete and you do diet down, your body is going to adapt. It is smarter than you. You cannot outsmart it. And if you think you're going to go back to eating the way that you were previously, you are wrong. And so what we see is people then blow up. They deal with body image issues. They say competing ruin their lives. They get blood tests right after they compete, which are definitely <laughs> going to be out of whack. Um, and then they say that they favorite. are unhealthy and competing did this to them. When in fact, they, going back to the cycle number one, didn't educate themselves, didn't have a strong enough why, didn't understand what they were getting themselves into, did not hire a quality coach that could help them understand what was happening to them. And then they go through this, again, whole thing where they fall off the face of the earth, they're dealing, they're struggling with binging, they're putting on a lot of weight, um, and then they hide. And when they do come back out into the light, they demonize the sport when in fact it was their fault and they're not owning their shit because they didn't take into account all of the back work that needed to be done before deciding to dive into this sport and rant. <laughs> yeah, I, I really get frustrated when this is like, I guess my own sort of hate is, or tea spilled, however the kids say it these <laughs> days. Um, whenever I looked up to people competing, I have always been big on YouTube. I actually have had my own YouTube channel since I was 14, and I posted videos consistently for eight years. Um, needed a break, let's just oh. say that. Um, but I would watch these girls, you know, compete, and, you know, Nikki Blackader was the first girl I saw, and yes, I'm going to say names. It, it's fine. Um, I've seen, like, Amanda Bucci and Emily Hayden, which I love Emily Hayden, and all of these bigger, quote-unquote, influencers compete, like 
even Marie Wold, all of them. And I have nothing against them, but I'm going to say like, you know, I really looked up to them and competing and their work ethic. And I was like, wow, this is great. Um, and it made me want to push myself too. And it, I felt like there was like that community and it felt cool to know that someone else is doing what I'm doing. Um, and then all of a sudden I saw this very negative wave of emotions and it seemed like hate and almost making fun of people who are wanting to compete. It was almost like they were so gun ho about competing. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, it's kind of stupid. Like, what's the point? Like you're doing all that work for what a show day. I'm like, yeah, but you did that for years and you documented it and you were clearly passionate about it. And why are you hating on it? I understand that it can affect your body image and your health, but you should have known that going in and you do know that going in. I, by no means, like I talk about this all the time is I'm going to lose my period going into my show. I already know this. Um, am I going to say, Oh my gosh, I lost my period during prep. What the heck? No, I already know this is going to happen. It's probably going to happen about two months from now. Um, because I've done my research and I am by no means like you can say like, Oh, I'm going to just help you way possible. Stop getting blood work post-competition. Not ideal stop blaming the competition for your binge eating. You probably had a poor relationship with food before you started competing. Um, just be blunt and honest with yourself and take some responsibility. And if you are no longer wanting to compete, please do not hate on people who do want to compete because some people do do it because they love it and they're passionate about it. And that's great. And other people do not, but just because you don't compete anymore, doesn't mean you should mock those who do and I just want to say when it comes to the entire sport and the people that engage in it remember this is an active choice you are choosing to dedicate your time your energy your finances your body your health you are choosing to engage in that activity so if it does not give if it's not stemming from passion if it's not stemming from a place of knowledge then you can't turn around and hate on the sport or blame a coach um, that you chose to engage with. I just think that this is where the victim thing comes into comes into play is, oh, woe is me, but you chose that for yourself. No one said, yeah. no one it, said competing is the healthiest thing. This is health. This is the epiphany of health, said no one ever. So I just think that you have to own your shit. Like, it drives me nuts, but you have to be aware of, of what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. And if you want to compete to win and to turn pro and to walk in the Olympia stage, yeah, suck it up buttercup because there is no sport where it's easy. Um, me coming from a gymnastics background, I trained elite level gymnasts where these kids, yes, they're kids, they're eight ages, eight to 13. We're training from 9am to 4pm. And that is some severe dedication considering they had to be homeschooled for their sport. Nobody's complaining about that. So there's going to be sports. There's going to be extremes. And even if you're eating, I'm sorry, this is like another numerical touchy subject. Even if you're eating 1300 calories, honestly, be grateful because there's someone out there in the world who doesn't even have the luxury of getting in that many calories in a day. And you're choosing to do that. So dieting is a luxury. Yes, it is. And I think people get into that too. Like I'm like when you engage in a prep and you complain that you're hungry, no one is starving you. Like you have the luxury of food right in front of you. 
if you aren't ready to prep, then you need to be aware that you're not ready to prep, that you're not ready to feel that hunger. Um, And again, that goes back to having those hard conversations with yourself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, um, Kate, I really enjoyed having you on this podcast and chatting with you today. Um, What are your, you know, final thoughts on everything we talked about today? And then where can people find you? Okay, so I think the biggest takeaways are just understanding your why when it comes to this sport, Um, gaining some knowledge for sure. Um, you need to you need to know what you're getting yourself into if it's something that you want. And then that you have a foundation of habits that are going to propel you in the right direction. Um, and then where can you find me? I'm pretty much mostly active on Instagram. So my Instagram is Kate and Michelle. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. And I did just start my own podcast, which this will be on called the all that glitters podcast because it is not gold as we've discussed here (laughs) yeah no I love the name of that podcast and with this being beyond the bikini I think it's funny because we both talk about like the glamorous side but like what's beyond that stuff that people don't want to talk about perfect so um everybody who listened to Kate today I will also have her information down below um I really enjoyed having you on today and um, I look forward to speaking more of you, maybe doing future podcasts and yeah. So thank you. Kate.